You can be seated. Unlike a lot of people probably my age, um, I daily, uh, probably religiously to some degree, um, like to pay attention to what's going on in the news. Even if it's the highlights, um, I like to, to see what is going on. And, and I don't know if you do that, um, but I'm one of those guys. And, and I don't know if you caught the, the article this week, but there was a, a group of um, researchers and explorers that were doing some research on uh, what was believed to be an in, you know, inhabited um, island, remote island, off the coast of South America. So they went there by ship. They had all this equipment. They were trying to do some different environmental work and kind of researching and trying to find uh, what was going on at this island and things. And lo and behold, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you saw this, but this is, is world-changing what they were able to find on this island, and I actually have a picture of it somewhere. It's called a shorsh. It's part shark, part horse, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but the scariest thing in the ocean is a great white shark. And to know that that thing now has legs and can come up on land I think is, is, is pretty scary. Do you? Like, I want to know where this island is. I am not going there. Some people are still like, I, I don't get it. Like, shark, horse. Only thing that would make it better is if it was a unicorn shark horse with a leprechaun riding on top of it and a cat with a machine gun behind him. But that's for another island, okay? The truth... It's very deceptive. Anymore, it is extremely difficult to determine what the truth is. See, in, in our culture is, is asking this, that truth is a very subjective thing, isn't it? There is all sorts of research out there that you can do. It's a very postmodern belief system. We were in the modern era. Now it was believed that we went in the last 30 or so years plus into the postmodern era. They haven't given it a cool name yet. And it's believed by most researchers and scholars that we're now in the post-postmodern era. Congratulations. You now know where you are in history. But in that, one of the, the lying beliefs amongst many postmoderns, and I would continue as well with millennials, so if you're a college student, you're a millennial, amongst people your age is this belief that absolute truth does not exist. That what is true for you is 100% true. But because it's 100% true for you, that does not mean that it has to be 100% true for me. Truth is subjective. It is relative to your experience, how you feel about a situation will often trump what is truth. Even the statement to say that there's no such thing as an absolute truth is contradictory. Because you are making an absolute truth about absolute truth not existing. And yet this is the, the cycle that many people in our world stand for. There is no longer a standard for truth. We have become a people that claim to love it. 
that love truth. And yet, if we're honest, we love fiction way more than we love truth. If I was to ask you, what are the movies that you watched this week? Were they documentaries about truth or were they fiction? Your favorite books to read, were they biographies, were they historical books? And historical romances do not count, all right? Or were they more fiction-based? The things that you were involved in, we are people that love fiction. And so Jesus is going to really address how do we as citizens in his kingdom, as his people, um, as his followers, how do we live in a world that is built on deception? Jesus will say this in verse 33. Again, you have heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. As, as Jesus, and as we've seen consistently with the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is looking at a Jewish audience, and he's reminding them of a truth from the Old Testament, primarily one of the Ten Commandments or, or one of the 613 commandments that we see in the Old Testament. He's addressing that from an understanding and perspective that they will get, and then he's going to swoop in, and he's going to restore its original interpretation. In this particular passage, unlike the weeks before, Jesus doesn't necessarily quote one central verse, but it's believed that he's quoting several different verses and kind of slamming them all together. If you're taking notes, here's some addresses for you. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, I would continue to the first and most important commandment is this, you shall not take the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord, um, I think this is actually the second one, will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. In Exodus 20, 16, it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Deuteronomy 10, 20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. So in the Old Testament specifically, taking vows, oaths, covenants, Making promises um, was not only common practice, but it was also encouraged. You were to do this, as, as he reads here, in, or I've quoted from the Old Testament, you were to do this in the name of God. These, these promises, though, were taken extremely seriously, and if broken, many of them were even punishable by death. Why? Because telling the truth is extremely important to God. Being a truthful person, it is one of the most valuable things in all relationships is this idea, can I trust you and can you trust me? This is only not an issue within our culture, but let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, this is a major issue within the church. It, I have to work through this daily in trusting you as church folk. To give you some ammunition as well, if we look at globally at some issues that have taken place within the church, then, then you probably have issues as well with trusting your elders, with trusting your pastors. It's a very, very serious thing, and yet in the Old Testament, and I would contend here in just a moment, this is also in the New Testament, that oaths, taking vows, these sorts of promises are common practice, and yet um, they... Or, or something is 
majorly going wrong here. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, it says this, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Lastly, Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. See, these vows were instituted, put into place, not only by humanity, but also by God. And when you were to swear, we're not talking about cuss words here. We're talking about promises, covenants, oaths, contracts, these sorts of things that literally you were supposed to speak them in the name of God. So you'd say something like, I swear to God, blank, blank, blank. All right? But as we've seen, by the time that Jesus begins his earthly ministry, the Jewish people have taken this idea, these boundaries, these rules, these laws, and they have been, I would contend, twisted in sin, and they have distorted God's truth and paved a way for them to be dishonest and even break the law. This illustrates what we mentioned last week, that God hates divorce, and that that contract, that agreement, that covenant, God takes very seriously here. It is done before God. It is done before these witnesses. And according to the Old Testament there, we see over and over and over again, if you make a covenant, it shall not be broken. It is in the name of God. And yet, it has believed by the time that Jesus, and we could go and talking about the Mishnah and all those sorts of things. We don't have time to do that this morning. But Jewish practice and Jewish belief is that taking swears, making oaths, or, or making vows had become extremely common in everyday conversation. It appears as though they were making swears and promises about everything and under everything except by the name of God. Now, why do the Pharisees not want to say or mention the name of God in these vows? See, they had stretched the law to believe this, that vows were permitted and could be broken without consequences as long as you did not mention the name of God in making the promise. You get that? See how they've stretched it? They, they, they did not, as some of the, the research I did suggested, that the Jews themselves um, so did not want to take God's name in vain that they removed God's name from those promises. So you and I, we can make promises all day long, we can make vows all day long, but they would use this as a justification to break them as long as we did not mention God. They said, we don't want to use God's name in vain, so I'm going to promise to Andrew this, 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 and this, and as long as I don't say that it's under God, then it is okay to be broken. They're saying... You can lie as long as you don't mention God in your lying. And this seems to be happening, again, over everything. Deceitfulness was allowed. Everybody was doing it. And it was okay. For example, if I was to say this to Laura, 
As God is my witness, tomorrow I will mow the grass. That is an unbreakable vow. It is an unbreakable promise. But if I say this, as Justin Crow is my witness, as the sun hangs in the sky, I will mow the grass tomorrow. See the difference? One mentioned God, one did not. The first one is unbreakable. The second one, I can break it all day long and have no consequence of guilt. I am free to lie because I did not mention God. See how the Jews and sin, Satan, and death has twisted this truth? A man could commit perjury, break a vow, lie, as long as he did not use God's name in the promise. I don't know about you, but confessionally, that sounds pretty amazing. That God would approve my lying. Or that God would approve... It doesn't sound amazing if I'm a recipient of your lies. But if I'm the giver of lies, that sounds pretty awesome. I could promise you all sorts of things. I could promise my wife and kids all sorts of things. I could promise my friends all sorts of things. And as long as I don't mention God, then I am free to lie. We will see here that Jesus obviously opposes this practice. Notice verse 34. Once again, we see this common theme Going through the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in verse 34, But I say to you, who is this I? King Jesus, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, Sovereign God. He is the Messiah. He is the Holy One. He, since he is the Sovereign God of all things, then he is able to determine and fulfill these laws within himself and to prove to them their original temptation. I want you to understand this ladies and gentlemen, and all people that are listening to me right now, you need to get this. It is not about what I say as one of your pastors and elders. It is not about what I think. It is not about what you think. It is not about what you say. Ultimately, it needs to be about what God's Word says. The truths of those words must dictate our lives. And in the great divorce that we talked about last week and this morning talking about the great deception is that there is some idea that those who claim to be followers of Jesus can be completely ignorant of what his word says and yet profess and know that God is leading them in directions. How many times? Well, I feel like God is telling me to do this. And it totally contradicts what his word says. I've heard of stories of people who have justified and even said this. Well, the Lord has told me I'm free and I can divorce my, my spouse. Would God ever say that? No. Okay? Well, God has told me. He's, he's given me this, this word of wisdom. Right? Or, or somebody will come up, this always freaks me out, but somebody will come up and say, the Lord has told me to tell you. You know what I usually do in those situations? And after they finish, usually what I'll say is, well, as soon as he tells me that, I'll pay attention to that. Especially, it's, and I'm not saying that we can't encourage someone or challenge someone, but we need to be very, very careful saying, thus says the Lord. 
all right? In the Old Testament, they would stone you to death. If you said, thus saith the Lord, and it didn't happen that way, they killed you, all right? That's real southern for kill, okay? This is a serious offense. Truth is serious. The reformers, the brothers and sisters who have given their lives, they were doing this, why? They were placed upon the stakes. They were burned to death. They were fed to lions. Why? Because they were fighting for the truth of what this said. Because as Pastor Justin shared with his MC this week, what is taking place within the church is that culture is moving further and further along. And the church, though slower in pace, is following suit. So how biblical Christianity was meant and written, we have progressively and slowly, as as maybe culture is moving feet, feet, feet at a time, the church is moving centimeter after centimeter after centimeter at a time, but it is following in the same direction, so much so that we, even within the church, don't really know what the truth is. Jesus is calling us to the truth. He says, but I say to you, read along with me, um, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for this is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Let's address this issue really quickly about do not take an oath at all. One of the major, not major questions, but a question that sometimes as pastors and elders that we get asked is, does this mean, literally, do not take an oath at all? I don't know, to be quite honest. There are two major schools of thought here. The first school of thought is they believe, yes, I got my doctorate from a school in Portland, Oregon called George Fox University. It was originally a Quaker school, and George Fox is known for this kind of premise that he believes, along with others, Anabaptists is another group that, that believes this, that you should never take an oath, contract, or any of those things. But that's what the Bible says. So that means this. Anybody have a mortgage? Did you sign your name? Whoopsie. Did you buy a car and sign your name? Whoopsie. You have sinned. Okay, that's, that's the extreme conservative. And I, I would say that we always need to be leaning toward conservatism because when we start to lean the other way, then we become liberals. Then, we, then truth definitely becomes relative and subjective. All right? So the, the two major schools of thought that we would somewhere probably line in is this idea that there is no oaths whatsoever. But then the other school of thought is where I, I would say that I land, that oaths are permissible, that specifically what Jesus is talking about is that he's warring against this idea or the flippant use of vows and swearing. All right? He's not talking about in a formal setting, and I'll show you why in just a second, but he's talking about just common practice, like I'm telling Brother Chris here something about, you know, uh, man, you will not believe that what I saw the other day. I saw a shorsh riding down the beach. That's the shark horse. Okay. <laughs> Going down the beach the other day, and he's like, what? And I'm like, I swear to God, or I swear I saw it. <laughs> he's talking about 
flippantly that he is speaking against that. That we should not flippantly be using this idea of oaths and contracts. Here's the one of the reasons why I tend to lean more in that camp of thinking. is one, because Jesus, when he is standing before Pontius Pilate, is essentially under an oath. And speaks. Pontius Pilate asks him, right? Are you the son of God? And Jesus then answers him and says, you say I am, and it is so. Okay? He kind of reiterates that. Even Paul, later on in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, But I call God to my witness against me. It, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. He also states a very similar statement in Romans um, chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, 10, as he is talking about his apostleship and his ministry, and he says, God is the witness of this. That is an oath. I do not believe that the scripture contradicts itself. So there, there must in some way be, be some idea that there is in a proper sense, in a very formal sense, that these things still exist. And yet in a common sense way, in a common communications way, those things should not exist. I would encourage you that we can get really caught up on those thoughts right there. Okay, and I'll tell you, there are guys who believe if you're called to court that you should not put your hand on the Bible and swear by it. People that we would follow, people that we believe, John Piper would say that. All right? Guys like John MacArthur would say, yes, you can do that. All right? So you can see, even within conservative thought, that it is a debatable issue. We can get really wrapped up into that this morning, or we can pray, God, help us to to expose to us the truth behind the truth. And that's what I think Jesus is really trying to get at this morning. All right? I wish we had more clarity, but we don't. All right? What Jesus does destroy is this notion that if you just erase God from the vow or from the promise, that it is not valid. Jesus destroys this idea. Just because the promise does not mention God does not mean that it can be broken. Jesus takes their formula of making promises that do not include God's actual name and showing them that even in those things, it includes God. So, for instance, if you say, I promise on heaven, what does that reveal about God? It still has God in it. Why? Because Jesus tells us here that heaven is what? God's throne. If you were to say, I mean, I promise on this earth, Jesus tells us that still invokes God as the witness. Why? Because the earth is his footstool. He says, man, you can't make a promise on Jerusalem. Why? Because it is his holy city. It is the city from which the king comes from. What is Jesus declaring about all of those words in creation? He's declaring two terms that we have used at mission here before, but let me just give you some clarity. God's sovereignty and God's providence. 
that God has authority over all, and providence meaning that he is working in all. All things are according to his craftsmanship. He is the, the master potter, and so he is able to create, work, and be involved. He did not simply just spin the earth on its axis, it is stepping back and watching it unfold. But Jesus is involved through sovereignty, his sovereign authority, and also his providence in all things. So Jesus is saying, no matter what you promise on, it's binding. Because I am involved in it. No matter what you vow, even if you don't take those vows seriously, those promises seriously, I am involved in this. See, once again, words mean something. We see the power of words, but we also see Jesus digging into the hearts of our words, the motives behind our words, and the promises that we make. This deceptive form of speaking to others, Jesus would say, is evil and reveals his true followers. And we, Mission Church, brothers and sisters, should be people of our word. See, Jesus is saying this idea of these kind of flippant You know, exchanges and promises are not needed. That people of God living in this world should be people of truth. That if I say yes, it's yes. And if I say no, it's no. That is what Jesus, these things aren't needed. We don't need to tell each other that we promise all the time. We don't need to swear by all of these things. If, if you tell me, and you are a sister in Christ, if you tell me, and you are a brother in Christ, if I tell you, because I'm your brother in Christ, if I tell you, because I'm your brother in Christ, then, then here is the deal, is that we shouldn't have to come up with all of these extra words to prove that we are telling the truth. We should be able to look each other in the eye and say, yes. We should be able to look each other in the eye and say, No, that what we say is gospel truth. Why? Because we follow the one true God and his name is Jesus. We must be faithful to complete the words that we have spoken and the commitments that we've made. Vows, whether formal or simple, are meant to be honored. And to break them, Jesus is declaring, is a serious serious offense. James is going to pick up this idea in chapter 5, verse 12, where he says, above all, but above all, my brothers, and that's a strong statement, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Get this. The men and women of God's kingdom are people of their word. Why? Because we are people of His word. The men and women of God's kingdom are people of their word. Why? Because we are people of His word. Now, I don't know about you, when I start thinking about this idea, it, it sounds automatically ridiculous that they are given the idea that if we say it just this way, that we are able to lie. I mean, it it sounds foolish. It sounds immature. It sounds childish. But but how many of you have seen, or you've seen this on television, maybe you've even said this, man, I swear on the life of my wife and kids. I swear on my life. 
this is truth. Ever heard it? How about, I, I, I cross my heart and hope to die. Right? I mean, we, we used to say these things, I cross my heart, you know, you did all these hand motions, I don't even remember what they were, but something. You're promising in that way. You are, you are swearing in that way. A small thing like a kid saying, okay, we need a pinky promise on this one. See, it, it initially sounds very ridiculous, ridiculous to us, but when we really pay attention to it, we will quickly see that all of us in this room have fallen into this same premise. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody, maybe your husband, maybe your wife, maybe your friend, maybe somebody here at the church, and you really need to trust them with some information? And in that conversation, you say, okay, here's the deal, is is I'm about to tell you something, but I need you to promise before I even tell you. And you're like, I don't know if I can do that. It depends on what you're going to tell me. Right? But we, we have those kind of conversations. I, I'm, I'm going to need you to promise. And, and then you ask the question, do, do you promise? And if they say, yes, I promise, then what do we do? Blah. I mean, we just emotionally and verbally just vomit all over them. We tell them whatever. Why? Because we trust, not that they will just keep their word, but they told us that they will promise. I will often catch myself saying this. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? That infers that all the other comments that I've made, I was not honest, that I was untruthful, and I'm finally going to be honest with you. I think I even heard this morning while we were setting up, somebody goes, I swear, sinner. All right? I'm going to start calling out names. All right? We, we get this idea. It is so easy to say. I promise, man, I, I swear, I, I tell you the truth, brother. He's a loser, all right? So I've not only sweared, but I've also murdered him with my words. <laughs> it's a very, very serious truth. Jesus is saying, why do we have all of these extra words to try to convince someone that we are being truthful? Anybody else feel that tension? We need you to tell me something more. You need to convince me that you are going to keep this truth or what you're saying is true. So I promise, I promise, man, I tell you, I tell you the truth. I, I, man, I, I swear, I swear, I'm a grandmama. This, and I don't do that. That's, what else, that's how you really know somebody's lying. I don't swear like this, but I really swear this time. This is the only time I'm going to do it. But I promise, without beyond, we like this church word, beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is true. We wrestle through those things. Man, why is this such an issue in our culture? Even in our best relationships, why is this an issue? Commentator Pastor Kent Hughes says this, Christ calls us to a life of profound truthfulness. Our problem is that we live in a radically deceptive world that is deceitful at its very roots. Yeah, that's weird. It's deceitful at its very roots. 
It's strange in its very root, and yet Jesus is calling us to radical truthfulness. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's calling you to radical truthfulness. Why is this such an issue, even for us in 2016, that we're wrestling to get people to be honest with us, to be truthful with us? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, our sin-filled hearts have left us paranoid. Sin leads us questioning the truth. Sin leaves us questioning the words of others. Our hearts are deceptive, and we believe that other people's hearts are deceptive. We live in a culture that is based on deception. Look at the lack of commitment. You who run companies have employees. You expect them to be there. You expect them to be there on time, right? And yet, how much of a struggle is that? It's a huge struggle. Did you know, I was talking to a guy yesterday who works for Warren County Public Schools, and um, he, he was telling me, if you've noticed all over Warren County, they're in desperate need of school bus drivers. We're not talking about two or three. Like 50. 50. And they can't find quality people. They can't find people to fill the jobs. Right? I mean, there's a major, we say things like, man, I, I really need a job, but I'm not working there. Right? That's the kind of culture that we live in. I'm, I'll work anywhere but McDonald's. Right? I, I will not work there. I'm not going to do that. I'm holding off for a management position. It's like, what's your, what's your job? You know, what's your resume? I've never worked before. <laughs> but you should hire me as the CEO. That is every, oh, I won't say, that's a, that would be lying. <laughs> Many seniors who graduate college now expect that they're going to the top of the ladder. And it's not true. But we've, we've created, even our economy, on this idea of deception. This is the world that we live in. It's, there's a major lack of commitment. There's extremely difficult for us in 2016 to tell what is real and what is fake. Because of sin, let's face it, we've become very untrustworthy. Media deception um, all, all of these sorts of things begin to really cultivate within our hearts a, a very skeptical, hyper-cynical ideas. Not just outside the church, but inside the church. This week, Prince died. But did he? I guarantee you there's a website right now proving that the man did not die and that it's a conspiracy. I guarantee you that. Maybe that, again, I probably just sinned by saying I guarantee that. Sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. All right? Amen. All right? I, you see how easy that is? But we're, we're, I mean, something happens and it's like, you know, uh, all, all, all of these events can happen in the world and immediately conspiracy theories begin to swell up. There are YouTube videos that you can watch about what really, really happened. We are the most feared, cynical, kind of paranoid 
people because of sin and the deception of our hearts and the deception of our world and this kind of fakeness that we're all living in and cultivating within our hearts and even celebrating amongst other people. And yet, what is the gospel calling us to? The gospel is calling us to live lives of truth. John Stott says this, If divorce is due to human hard-heartedness, swearing is due to human untruthfulness. Both were permitted by law. Neither was commanded. Neither should be necessary. And if you're involved on social media, some call it Facebook, I call it fake book. We can put out there any sort of perception that we want online. We can create a brand for ourselves. There is even marketing. Did you realize this? There is a marketing firm that will help you create an online brand for yourself. Why? Because when jobs are looking at these places, immediately they go to social media. And this marketing firm helps you to create pages that reflect and look good for yourself. They take out all the ones of you partying, being crazy, saying you shouldn't say this or take these out. Think about advertising for a moment. If you're a young man and you go to Kmart and you buy something called Axe and you flip it on the back of it, it shows a guy dousing himself with this and even little pictures. Y'all think I'm lying? Look at it. And, and see, I just, I did it again. You think I'm lying, see? Oh, see how frustrating this is? It's so normal. You see a picture, a man, he's in the shower. He's putting this stuff on him. The next picture is him surrounded by women. We think about half-naked women selling cheeseburgers. Man, you need to have these lips. You buy this butter, rub it on your face every night, and tomorrow you wake up like... Deception. It's lies. We have something on television called reality TV that we only find out years later was scripted. That it wasn't reality. That it was a lie. We have news. The spins on the spin room. That we can't even pay attention to the news anymore. Because we don't know if it's true. And if you go from one of the stations to the next one, they're talking about the exact same thing, they don't line up. We've built this sort of world. Now, as many of you guys know, like I'm, I've been on a diet, or better be truthful. Get that? My wife has me on a diet, and I've agreed to now do it. But, but I want you to know, you know, I've, I've been kind of a, a bigger guy last few years, trying to work on it. And, and recently, somebody asked me here at the church, they were praying for me, because I, I, I do believe that it is a spiritual battle. Okay? And, and so this morning, I just thought I would, I would let the church know how I'm doing. And so I have a picture. That's, that's how I'm doing. And all is good. Thank you for praying for your pastor. You prayed abs onto this body. All right? You can turn it back off now. That's disturbing. Okay? But here's the deal. I mean, we don't know what's real or fake anymore. We, we don't know. 
I mean, we don't know what a real woman looks like anymore. I've literally, there was a company in, Bowling, uh, in Franklin at the time when I was a kid, and as an art person, I get to go to this factory, and they worked on magazines, and they were doing Photoshop, and literally, they were making these people, like, trim down. They're, you know, we all know the stories now of taking away blemishes. Like, you can take, um, you know, a, a very large man and, and make him a very skinny man with all sorts of muscles, and you have no idea. That's called a bad Photoshop job right there, okay, um, on purpose, but it is hard. Why? Because of deceit, and we've fallen in love with it. And, and we'll know those things, and yet how, how many people, especially women, are looking at those magazines, they're comparing themselves to falsehood, to lies, and saying, I'm not valuable enough. I am not good enough. This is our standard of beauty. How many men do you have buying those magazines, looking at those things, and expecting, man, that is real? And it's not, and they're comparing those things to, to their wives or to their husbands with the abs. And it's, it's not real. It's spray paint. It's computer. It's, it's generated. And, and we can all say that we agree with those things, and yet in the, in the back of our minds, we are truly wrestling with those things. Um, how many of you have ever clicked onto your computer, and there's an update to your computer, and it gives you this big long thing that you're supposed to read, and at the bottom of it, you get to click this button that says, I agree, and there it says, have you read, and do you agree with these terms? And you click, yes, and you didn't. Anybody? Are we raising our hands on that one? We are a people of fine print. And Jesus is saying, there should be no fine print. If I say yes, it's yes. If I say no, it is no. Consciously or unconsciously, we are perpetuating a culture of deceit that affects us greatly. Let me give you some ideas in the way that we do that. Number one, see if this gets anybody, we speak false truths. What do we mean by that? Well, Brother Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. His house could have burnt down last night. His dog got ran over. I'm doing fine. How are you today? I'm good. When you're not, we have a tendency to share false truths, even within the church. Maybe this is you. It's, it's one that, that I can be prone to, that I have to be very, very careful with. Number two is, is that we can attack with the truth. In Ephesians 5.14, Paul says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about to every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every point in which it is equipped. When each part of us is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the temptation there is, is God is all about truth, but we can often use truth like a machine gun. Jesus is calling, and I'm not saying that it can ever be forceful or that it doesn't ever sting. Truth, a lot of times, will sting us. 
And yet, we aren't just supposed to be walking around zinging truth at people for the sake of doing it and ultimately to make ourselves feel better. Jesus is saying that we should do this in love, that Jesus, again, is all about truth. He does not want us to be carried away on the waves and by the wind of every doctrine. That is one of my biggest fears for the church in America. That is my biggest fear when I'm working with young adults. Toss to and fro. Even if the word says this, ah, that's negotiable. Or he doesn't mean that anymore. And yet, the scripture is saying, man, if I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if this is not true, what are we doing here? If, if this is not true, then it is all lies. Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is about truth. He has called us to share truth in love. Number three, a struggle that we have is that we embellish the truth. So first one, we speak false truth. Second one, we attack with truth. Third one, we embellish the truth. Have you ever noticed how much that we exaggerate? How about the use of superlatives? Everything is awesome, right? If everything is awesome, sorry, I'm a parent. It's in the Lego movie. Google it, all right? If everything is awesome, nothing is awesome. If everything is great, nothing is great. If everything is, is wonderful, then nothing is wonderful. We have a tendency in our deceitful hearts to embellish the truth, to exaggerate. Fish stories, right? You catch a minnow, it was a five-pounder by the time you got to the house. We exaggerate these things. We overuse these things. We, we call into work saying that we're sick and we're not. It's a lie. We tell their, our wives that their hair looks good, and it doesn't. So we want to have a good day. So we choose good day over honoring our wives. We choose, excuse me, we choose good day over honoring God and being truthful. It is always an awkward moment in our house when Laura likes to play dress up a lot. And that's good that she wants my opinion. But sometimes it is so awkward. And I have not mastered it. I would just rather her not ask me. Right? Because I'm just like, she's like, how does this look? Thinking through my words. Thinking through my words. Be very careful here. I don't want, want tears. What do I say? Hey, Ava! Come in here. Mama wants to know how she looks. Because they would just tell her, I don't like that. Right? And I'm like, Whew. right? Yeah, you look great, honey. Does this make me look thinner? Don't ask us that. You were just throwing a softball up for lies. I mean, there is no win in you asking us that. All right? It's extremely tough. We, we fight 
this war. We, our words lose value when we use them so flippantly and when we exa- exaggerate them, when we embellish them. As a public speaker, man, i got to be careful all the time in doing this. Because it can be easy for the sake of grabbing emotion or, or speaking a truth or telling a story for it to become way more elaborate than what really happened. In Psalm 5, 9 it says, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Had you ever flattered someone so that they would be on your side? Have you ever spent some time with someone because you knew in the end it would benefit you? And honestly, if you're really honest, you couldn't stand them. But you spent time with them because you knew it was better to play safe and play the game than it was to be honest and truthful. Flattering people. Are we supposed to encourage each other? Yes, the Bible is very clear on that. But we know the difference. Anybody ever had that moment, like, you say something, you're like, shut up. Like, in your mind, you're like, why did I say it? Right? Why did I get that piece of information? Psalm chapter 12 says, everyone utters lies to his neighbors. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is the master over us? And we have to be careful with embellishing, exaggerating the truth. Flattery. Number four, we withhold the truth. Never let us be guilty of sacrificing any portion of truth at the altar of peace. J.C. Ryle. Never let us be guilty of sacrificing any portion of truth at the altar of peace. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that not speaking truth is also a sin? Being silent when something needs to be said? How many of you guys have ever been in a conflict with somebody and you finally get up the nerve? You finally get up the nerve. Hey, we need to have this conversation. We need to have this discussion. And, and you go in and you have a game plan. You have three points, a poem. All right? You have a detailed outline that you have scripted and memorized. You're going to lovingly let this brother or sister know exactly what is taking place and the grievance within that relationship and you go in there and you sit down with them and you never talk about it you never address it or you skirt around the issue hoping that they will get the drift without communicating the truth of why you are really there ladies and gentlemen we got to be very careful about withholding the truth as well 
The book of Romans say this, says this, and I think it's the first chapter. It says we exchange the truth for a lie. And if you keep reading in that chapter, that's when we begin to worship everything. So we take the truth of creation, of creator, and we begin to worship the created things instead of worshiping the creator. Why? Because we would rather believe and live the lie than to focus on the truth. In closing, remember this. Jesus is truth. So, we should be truth-filled. I didn't say truthful there for a reason. We are to be truth-filled. Okay? Jesus is truth, so we should be truth-filled. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I think that Jesus is ultimately looking. He is raising the bar on the citizens of heaven. He is raising the bar on God's holy people. And he's saying, once again, your righteousness must exceed those of the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 5, we talked about that a few weeks ago. So he's raising the bar. And in a very small way, the truth behind the truth that Jesus is saying here in this passage is this. You are all liars. You're all liars. Congratulations. Welcome to Mission Church, home of the liars. We're liars. And Jesus isn't backing away from that. He's exposing the sin. He's once again revealing you cannot do this in your own righteousness. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. You cannot be righteous enough. You cannot check the boxes enough. You can't follow these holy ideas enough and, 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 and not be without breaking them. It is within your very nature. You, I, we are liars. So we need to realize that Jesus is the truth, so we need to be truth-filled. Part of being truth-filled is the realization I'm a liar. When I'm exposed to the truth, when the darkness is exposed by the light, then it allows us in community to say, you know what, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Doesn't that help anybody? Maybe you say that to yourself. Doesn't that in some way release us as God's people to acknowledge that we are? In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, he says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus would also say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, the truth isn't just something philosophical understanding or intellectual assent. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. He is absolute truth. He is truth in physical form. This is Jesus, and no one will come to God except through Jesus, because he is the truth, and because he's the truth, he is able to set men and women free. He is able to set the liars free, the captives free, the dishonoring uh, free, the dishonest free, the flatterers free, those who embellish the truth. You are able to be set true, free when you understand that Jesus is truth and he fills you with that truth. It enables us to admit our wrong, to admit our sin. 
And they fall deeply in love with Jesus. In a world that is deceitful, we are called to be truthful. You want to know the condition of your hearts, ladies and gentlemen, this morning? Do we want to know the conditions of our heart? Pay attention to what we say or not say. In a culture that is very surface level, sound bites, cliff notes, citizens of God's kingdom fight against shallowness, flippant statements, and conspiracy. Once again, as citizens of heaven, when we fail to have integrity, to not do what we said we're going to do, we must represent King Jesus. So he's called us to be truthful. We often find our worth and our value in the opinions of others instead of our worth and value in God and what He places upon us. So, liars. Men and women who lack integrity. May we come to the truth in a world that is filled with fiction. May we come to this truth, this understanding, and may we be filled with it. Not just to the point where we know some information, but to the point to where we live according to it. We are going to be at Mission Church people of the Word. It does not always mean that we will agree, but it means that we will agree to continue to press into each other with the Word of God. Because it is true. So in our time of response this morning, may we confess through song, may we confess through prayer, may we confess in fellowship, may we confess on Wednesday night our MCs that we are liars, but He is not. And may we fight for truth in all things. Let's pray.